Jets GM Joe Douglas finally spoke this week to the media about everything going on with the franchise. We'll break down what exactly he said and we'll preview the Jets Monday night matchup with the Patriots. We also chat with former Jets all-pro linebacker Marvin Jones. All that plus Brian's book and Stump the Cause right here on Gangs All Here from the New York Post. You play to win the game. Welcome back to Gangs All Here, our New York Jets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown, Brian Costello. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Brian Cos. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. Go get us. Give us that five stars. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you use it. Former Jets linebacker Marvin Jones will join us later in the show, and we'll also have. Another edition of Brian's book to give you. And you remember the famous show Stump the Schwab. We'll have Stump the Cause, where we give Cause a Jets trivia question and see if he could get it with our associate producer, Alex Camerata. But Cause, you know, we're trying to give people, you know, everyone take a deep breath. I know it's a stressful week for America right now with this election and everything going on. And if you have the election and a Jets fan, it's double the stress going on right now. So, Take a deep breath, goose fraba, as we try to commiserate together here on Gangs All Here. Cause Joe Douglas spoke after the trade deadline came and went on Tuesday. He spoke to the media and, you know, he had some comments that made some headlines, but it's kind of just, you know, a GM backing his coach and not throwing him under the bus. That's essentially what it was. Let's go over exactly kind of what he said. The controversial quote was, this is not all an Adam. I have to do a better job surrounding him with better players and better weapons. We're in this together. I'm going through and thinking of everything I can do to try and help Adam. The goal is to get this fixed together. The hope is that we can fix these problems together and be here together for a while. He was asked if he believes Gase is part of the solution, and he said yes. Can you go over, you were in this Zoom session, go over kind of what he said about uh, Coach Gase. Yeah, I mean, Jake, the Gase stuff, obviously fans don't want to hear it, but I would ask them, what is he supposed to say right now? Is he going to rip the head coach? Like Adam, Adam's the head coach. He's coaching Monday night. Douglas can't sit here and give an honest assessment of Adam Gase's coaching in the same way he can't give an honest assessment about Sam Donald's quarterback play. Uh, those two are tricky for him. You know, he said nice things about Adam Gase. Does that mean Adam Gase is in any less jeopardy of being fired today than he was yesterday? No. Ultimately, it's Christopher Johnson's call. Joe Douglas is going to have input into that decision, I'm sure. He's going to ask him his opinion about Gase, and I'm sure he has asked him already his opinion. And when Gase is eventually fired, as we expect, Douglas is going to be able to hire the new coach. But I thought people, you know, I knew as soon as he said it, people were going to go crazy because, you know, I, I know how it is. If you say anything positive about Adam Gase, you get destroyed. But I just think Douglas was in an impossible spot, Jake. I, I like there, there's there's times when a guy can't be honest. You hope they're always honest with you, but there's times where they can't. And I think he just had to. Um, you know, I don't think he was lying. I just think he had to kind of skirt the issue a little bit. And he's right. He he did not give Gase or Darnold enough weapons with this team. Uh, it's not all his fault. A lot of it lies on Mike McCagnan, who you know was drafted in the last five years uh, and and did not surround these guys. Did not give these guys enough talent. I, I know fans probably work out worked up when they saw those quotes, but I didn't think they were very meaningful yeah i mean he's not going to say adam gase is not our coach next season he's not our coach going forward he's going to ride this out and listen if the team if they keep playing the way they're playing they're either one of 15 0 and 16 
And then he comes back and he says, Gase is the head coach next season. Then fans can riot. Then fans then can, they go can riot. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, then- that, I agree with you then. And then again, that's not his decision. That's Christopher Johnson's decision. That's the other tricky part of this thing. It's like, you know, if, if someone's asking me my evaluation of the job you do, Jake, it's not, I'm not your superior. We're, we're coworkers. So Gase and Douglas are coworkers. They're essentially on the same level. You know, they're, they're the married, married couple that runs the Jets right now. And so you know, he can't come out and give a, you know, completely honest assessment. I thought he did a good job of shouldering a lot of the blame for this. Um, I thought it was refreshing. You know, I, I haven't seen that from GMs a lot where, you know, he, he was really honest. It wasn't just lip service. I thought the Robbie Anderson answer was really honest. You know, it's very rare when a general manager admits a specific mistake. They'll sometimes talk in generalities about everyone has to do better, including me. That kind of, no, he said like he messed up Robbie Anderson. He wishes Robbie Anderson was here and he messed up the, the you know, they evaluated Robbie Anderson. So what they do is they go through all the free agents, their own and other people's, and they take, you know, they estimate what these guys are going to get in free agency. And then they budget accordingly. They thought Robbie Anderson was going to get $15 million a year from someone. They weren't going to pay Robbie Anderson that. Well, it ends up he got $10 million a year. But by the time it happened, the Jets couldn't pivot because they had already allocated that money elsewhere. And Robbie walked to Carolina. And I think Robbie wanted to stay here. And he would have stayed here if the money was closer. If the Jets gave him a little bit more, they definitely would have stayed here. So he screwed that up, you know, and, and he admitted that. And I thought that was good. The gay stuff was headlines. The Darnold stuff is headlines. But I think the Darnold stuff is kind of similar to the gay things, Jacob. What is he going to say about Sam Darnold right now? Yeah, and another guy on the offense, Kaz, is Chris Herndon. And he said, we were not shopping. Chris, we received no calls on Chris. I think there was some misinformation out there on that. Sources tell me that Butterfingers Candy Company was looking for an endorsement deal with Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon did decline. Pretty obvious, cause no one was interested. His value is just so low. It's going to be an interesting second half for him because, cause what if he does prove himself he plays better I don't see it happening but if he has a nice second half maybe he's trade bait and you stockpile some more draft picks in the offseason I, I don't think so I think if he plays well he's here next year you know they, they have him still on his rookie contract I'm not ready to give up on Chris Herndon yet there's potential there I don't know if he's going to turn around this year it seems to me his this is in his head now uh, he's lost a lot of confidence. He just looks like a player, you know, like we talked about last, I think I made the comparison on our last podcast was to a relief pitcher. Like he's Edwin Diaz right now, Jake, and from your Mets of like where, you know, this guy can do it. You've seen him do it, but something is not clicking right now with him. And I'm not sure if he's going to be able to turn it around this season or if he needs an off season to kind of clear his head. Maybe if he gets a new coordinator next year, maybe that changes things. But I wouldn't, I'm not ready to give up on her yet. And I don't think they'd get much bad for him in a trade. I think it's more, more likely that you just keep him. What is this? This is his third year, so he has one more year left on his contract. I, I would just ride that out. I didn't think I'd have to hear Edwin Diaz's name for a while. Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate. Throw that one at you. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy because he ended up having a nice season, but those right. four blown saves, that's the difference between the Mets potentially being a playoff team and not being a playoff team. Uh, that's a story for another day, but at least they have a new owner coming to town to try and ride the ship and, and, and inject some dollar bills into that franchise. The Jets, cause will face the Patriots trying to get their first win. And at this point, you know, I don't even get angry anymore because I, I want Trevor Lawrence now. Now I'm at the point where I just keep losing because one win could make all the difference. The Jaguars have been so bad that they could be a, a two and 14, one and 15 team. I think the Giants have shown us that they will probably win a couple more. They have found ways to lose every week, but they are in every week. They have lost by one possession five times. So, you know, and I think the Texans are much better than their record. 
who, by the way, signed Josh McCown. I mean, an old friend joining Deshaun Watson as his backup. An interesting move there. But I think it's down to really the Jets and maybe the Jaguars for that first pick. We'll see what happens. Maybe Washington. You know, Jets-Patriots. Patriots have lost four straight games. They are reeling right now. Uh, the Jets are seven-point underdogs at home. A little surprised that the number wasn't, you know, nine or ten, but Jets being home helps the case. Break down this uh, matchup of AFC East rivals on Monday night. I mean, you know, they got to start flexing Sunday and Monday games because this is the second straight week. We get a pretty ugly Monday night matchup. Yeah, featuring a New York team. Yeah, I'm surprised they scheduled uh, Jets on Monday night football this late in the season. Usually they try to get that out of the way earlier. It's a weird, weird situation, Jake, seeing the Patriots like this. I It's unfamiliar territory for me. You know, I've never covered a game where the Patriots were limping in, <laughs> limping in here. I think the nightmare scenario for the Jets right now, for Jets fans, I should say, is that the Jets find a way to win this game and Belichick screws them again by screwing them out of Trevor Lawrence. You know, if they, they find a way to win this or week 17 in Foxborough, that could that could end up costing the Jets the pick. But here here's the thing to me, Jake. The Jets are now the get right team for everybody. The Broncos came in here. They didn't have a win. Short week, third string quarterback, they get a win. The Cardinals come in here. Cardinals have lost two in a row. There was questions about Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. They get a win. Buffalo comes in here. They had lost two in a row. It was ugly. They kicked a lot of field goals, but they won the game. The Jets are now the get-right team, right? That this is this is how teams look at them. You know, the Patriots coming off four losses, something they haven't done in I don't know since what two thousand something like that. They're gonna be, they're gonna look to be getting right, and I, I imagine. They'll probably look a lot better Monday night against the Jets than they've looked recently against the Bills or the 49ers or the other teams that they've lost to. So it sounds like the get-right team, you're taking the Patriots in this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know the scenario where I take the Jets. <laughs> like, again, I, I I, can't come up with that scenario this year where I, where I think the Jets – I think they're going to be in better shape, Jake, if they get a team that's riding high and not the Chiefs. Like, the Chiefs are a great team. I'm talking about like if they could get the Dolphins coming in here off of like three or four wins where the Dolphins are feeling a little little too good about themselves, maybe they catch them or the Raiders or the Browns. Teams of that caliber, like the mid-level team, if they're riding a winning streak and maybe they get a little overconfident, that's where maybe the Jets get a win. Uh, I think Bel- Belichick's going to have these guys so focused uh, Monday night to get a win that uh, you know I, I don't think the Jets – I don't give the Jets much of a chance. Yeah, there's not a game on the schedule where we're going to predict the Jets the rest of the season. Uh, remember, they'll have the, their bye after this game as it was moved up. So Monday night, uh, we'll have the Tuesday show. Then we will be gone for a week until they play the Chargers. So they go to the West Coast and play the Chargers, Justin Herbert after that. I'll take the Patriots, too. I think it's going to be something like 20-10, to 10, pretty low scoring Patriots. Have had trouble scoring these last couple. Cam Newton has looked just awful. Um, he's been turning the ball over. He's been throwing the ball all over the place. Uh, so I'll take the Patriots twenty to ten, and the Jets will fall to zero and nine. It's a f-ing joke, Doctor. It's a Thursday program, so it's story time. It's the time where we dive into Brian's book, and you tell us a story from your days on the beat. Take it away. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought of this, Jake. After Joe Douglas on Tuesday, he did his midseason press conference. So we usually hear from the general managers once during the season, you know, right in the middle. Joe Douglas likes to do it after the trade deadline. Some guys do it during the bye week or or midpoint. Douglas opened up his press conference yesterday by saying he was going to keep his opening statement short. That reminds me of the longest opening statement in Jets history, John Idzik 
in 2014, when the Jets were having a similar season to this, they were one and eight, they, and they had lost eight games in a row. They won their first game that year and then lost eight games in a row. And Idzik did his midseason press conference. And he unwisely decided to open his press conference with a 17-minute statement where he basically tried to guess everyone's questions and answer them before we could ask them, which is stupid. Just let the reporters ask the questions. And he, it was one of the most surreal press conferences I've ever been in. And I've been in a lot of them with the Jets, but this one, you know, he was rambling and praising different things that he shouldn't have been praising at one and eight. And I think simultaneously, Mike Francesa was trashing him on FAN while listening to it. And then a couple days later, we're at practice and all of a sudden, you know, there's really loud noise overhead and you look up and you see the plane with Fire John Idzik behind it. And then Idzik is standing right there with Rex. I think Woody Johnson was on the field too. And they're looking up at it and the players are looking up at it. And it was just a surreal moment again, you know, a couple days after this press conference. And, you know, Idzik was only in his second season, but you knew he was done. You know, you knew he was done after that press conference, after the plane. You know, there was all the protests out, like, you know, the, the websites and the billboards and all that stuff. It was an interesting time. And then the next day after the plane, two things, two funny stories. At practice, Rex was flying around a, a model airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Rex, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he flew out of Molly Airport. And then our colleague uh, at the time, George Willis, who was a columnist for the Post at the time, he was flying to North Carolina, I think to, to I don't know if he was on an assignment or to visit his, one of, someone in his family. And at Newark Airport, he ran into John Idzik who was heading to North Carolina for a scouting trip. And he actually asked them about the plane because we didn't get to ask him about the plane. Uh, we didn't get to talk to him that day, but he got, he, he ran into him and he got a good story asking Idzik about the plane. But, uh, you know, as I sit through, when I sit through those mid-season press conferences with the GM, I always think back to John Idzik because that was the worst one I've ever seen. Yeah. And he's one of the worst GMs we've ever seen. So it, it only lines up that, uh, that happened. You mentioned two WFN. I never got your reaction to Joe Beningo retiring. You are a regular every week on Joe and Evan. What is uh, your thoughts on Beningo's 25 year career at the fan? Well, I mean, he had a great career. I'm sad to see him go. Uh, you know, I actually wrote something for Thursday's post, a uh, little, you know, tribute that, you know, I don't think the day after Jets games will ever be the same. Cause I think that was always a must listen was when the Jets lost a brutal game. It was all, oh, let, let's, turn into Joe and hear him scream and yell and thought he represented Jets fans very well. <laughs> he, he was always waiting for the other shoe to drop kind of always, you know, criticizing the moves, but then at times Joe would be like incredibly positive and like optimistic. And it was always, is that weird dichotomy of Jets fans where, you know, a lot of times they're super negative, but every once in a while they surprise you with how positive they are. And, you know, it's just, it's not going to be the same, especially the day after Jets losses to me, Jake, that's the one where, you're really going to miss, you're really going to feel Joe's absence. Yeah. And you know, he, in his 20, he summed it up well in his 25 years of the fan. He did not get one title over that time span, <laughs> uh, but he has yeah. seen one in his life. He's old enough that he did see the jets win in 69. He saw the Mets. He saw the Knicks. Yeah. It was 15. Yeah. Yeah. And like, look, those guys have been great to me, Jake. Like those guys put me on when I was early in my time as a jets beat writer. And it, like, it's amazing how many people listening to them and, you know, the thrill people get out of hearing you on the radio, like my friends growing up with my family. So I'm forever indebted to Joe and Evan for what they did for me, putting me on there. Yeah. I can only imagine. I made my first appearance on WFN Saturday as a guest talking about oh, the Mets. Go. So it was good. I, you know, I strongly believe I crushed it. a lot of people listening. It's cool to hear people, 
you know, like you said, friends and family that like you're they're in their car, they can listen on the road. I mean, it's the fan. I mean, it's the number one yep. sports radio station. So it was definitely awesome to uh, pop my fan cherry. I will say, <laughs> I, you know, I was I've been on the commercials on the website for my old podcast with CBS. But to be on the actual radio there was pretty awesome. So I could attest to that. I'm curious now if you'll make appearances on the new Carton and Roberts show. Uh, I yeah, guess, we'll see. Yeah, I, I guess don't know. We'll, we'll see what they will see what happens. We'll see. I, I'm, I don't know. For a fight between you, you and Joe or you and Evan. Yeah. Yeah. The, last year got tense over Gase. You know, they felt I was soft on Gase. And, you know, my thought at the time was you couldn't fire somebody in the middle of their first season. And that was my argument. And they thought, you know, they just thought I was being way too soft on Gase. He kicked me off the air one time last year because he also, like I said, sometimes Joe gets really positive, but he overreacts to everything. That's that's kind of what he does. And so Joe would be like, remember, they won like three games in a row last year. Giants, Redskins, Raiders. And he was like, that's it. You know, they're, they're on a roll. They're going to be great. They're going to listen. And like, no, like they played some bad teams and they caught the Raiders at a good time. Then they lost to the Bengals and he was like, oh, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. It's like, they're the same team. They're the, it's the same team that, that won those games. So he got mad at me because I said he kind of goes with the wind with whichever the wind's blowing. And he, he kicked me off the show that day. But never never anything that lingered. Jake, we are always – it's it made good radio. Like that was always my feeling was when we argued and they yelled at me, people liked it. And, you know, that, that was – it always made for good radio. Yeah, it surely did. And, you know, our interview, if you missed it, by the way, Monday made for good podcast and Mike Westhoff as uh, he, he had some things to say that people uh, wrote about and picked up. So uh, shout out to Mike Westhoff. Pop my cherry. Remember, everyone remembers Stump the Schwab, just a classic show. A guy I've talked to, Howie Schwab, who just knows everything and anything about sports trivia. We're going to play a little Stump the Cause. So let's bring in Alex Camerata to present you, Cause, with a Jets trivia question. Let's see if you can get this. Yeah, this is exciting, Cause. There's been lots of talk lately, especially right here on the pod, that the Jets could look to draft Trevor Lawrence in the upcoming draft and obviously potentially move on from Sam Darnold. So that got me thinking about this segment. There have been 18 starting quarterbacks for the Jets since 1999. Can you name them all? And here's a hint. Eight of the 18 quarterbacks have more than 10 career starts with gangrene. Another hint, two of the 18 made just one career start. Go ahead. So Vinny Testaverde, Ray Lucas, Two. Who started in 99? Did Glenn Foley start in 99? Glenn Foley is not on the list. No, he's not on the list. Because there was somebody he started, I thought that he didn't. Glenn Foley was 98. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad Pennington. That's three. Who I'm trying to go in chronological order here. Jay Fiedler. That's four. Oh, man. There's a guy that Quincy, uh, what the heck's his last name? I wrote a story about him. He was a Cowboys quarterback and yep. then he came to the Jets. I'll give it to you. Quincy Carter. That's fine. Quincy Carter. Quincy Carter. Yep. Yep. Give it to them. Um, Kellen Clemens. That is six. Brett Favre. That's seven. Mark Sanchez. There's eight. He has 62 starts, by the way, the most on the list. Greg McElroy. That's nine. Doctor. Geno Smith. Ten. Doctor. Michael Vick. Eleven. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Twelve. Bryce Petty. Thirteen. Doctor. Josh McCown. Fourteen. Sam Darnold. Fifteen. Josh, and then last year, Trevor Simeon. Sixteen. Doctor. Luke Falk. 17. Doctor. Joe Flacco. 18. Doctor. You know. <laughs> but isn't it, did he, he say Brooks Bollinger? If so, there's, then there's 19. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Brooks well, Bollinger, yeah. Come on. Coming up next on Gangs All Here, it's an interview with former All-Pro Jets linebacker Marvin Jones. 
Joining us next is a former All-Pro Jets linebacker who the team selected with the fourth pick in the 1993 NFL Draft. He spent his entire 11-year NFL career with Gang Green from 93 through 2003, where he made the playoffs three times and appeared in one AFC Championship game in the 98 season. He compiled over a 1,000 combined tackles in his NFL career, all after being named a two-time All-American, a Buckus Award winner, a Lombardi Award winner, and the Sporting News College Football Player of the Year winner with Florida State, where he's a member of the FSU Hall of Fame. It's number 55, Marvin Jones. Marvin, welcome to Gangs All Here, man. What do you think of the Jets so far this year, man? The 0-8, Adam Gase is very much on the hot seat. He's expected to be fired probably after the season at this point. Um, what have you seen from the Jets this year? Well, the Jets have definitely had a tough season. I think it just a lot of the transition got rid of a lot of talent. I think that's the biggest issue is talent. I think probably took a half a year before people figured out what the goal was. I think if early on they had come out and say, hey, look, we're we're trying to move up in the draft. We're trying to, you know, get rid of some players, unload some cap money or some contracts, and this is the direction we're going in. I think people might be a little more sympathetic, but it just seems as though nobody stepped up and kind of said anything, but then all of a sudden, you know, good players are being traded. Guys, uh, you know, that didn't resign last year from like guys like Robbie Anderson. So the team just got rid of his talent, you know, within without any clear direction to people. So I think that kind of frustrated a lot of people. And then finally now, I mean, there's no doubt in our mind what's going on right now because obviously, you know, uh, Joe Douglas kind of came up and spoke on it after three months of not saying much. Everyone talks about, you know, that 96 team that went 1-15. and Is this team worse than that 96 team? No, you guys keep talking about 96 team. <laughs> we, we, we try to forget it. Um, well, I think they, I mean, I think we had more talent. I, you know, the, the difference was, I mean, hugely, huge is, you know, I look at the games and some of these games are not even close. I mean, I think the point differential at one point was about 18 points that they were losing every, losing games. But I mean, we had, a, you know, we had a lot more games, you know, seven points or less. You know, we had a, we had a pretty good talent pool. I mean, that show because when you you know one year later Bill Parcell comes in and we're vying for a playoff spot you know we win we're nine and seven we win one one game down you know with Barry Sanders breaks the NFL rushing record we win that game I mean we're we're in the playoffs we we did have a, a pretty we had more talent than what they have now I just think in all my years of being there it's a little more hard to swallow because I just don't remember us during my years out of eleven years ever being in a position where we just kept getting rid of players getting rid of players because we wanted to have the first choice first first pick. And, you know, if you go back a couple of years ago, I mean, hell, Sam Donald was the first thing two years ago. Now we're back in that same position two, three years later. You know, so it's kind of a tough pill to swallow sometimes. What do you, what's your thoughts on Sam Donald? Is, you know, do you t- keep him next year? And if you have the first pick, trade it for a bunch of picks? Or do you take Trevor Lawrence? Well, I think obviously, you know, the Jets probably mindset is probably too full of trigger and take Trevor Lawrence, you know, I mean, going into, you listen to key words when people talk about the future of the Jets, nobody, nobody, if they're not saying Sam Donald's going to be the quarterback of the future, then obviously that always leaves room to to juggle him or, or to put him out in, 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 for trade, you know, so that's always a possibility, but I think Sam Donald's probably, a lot of times when you, you, you scar these guys young in their career, it, it, it just never gets better, and I think at this point, they're probably going to have to move on from him just simply. 
I mean, he's been there, what, this the third year. He's already had two head coaches. I mean, I look at it kind of like how I was. When I was a defensive player, I had three head coaches my first three years. I mean, how do you get a rhythm? How do you get any, you know, your confidence? You can't constantly change the system. Then it becomes frustrated. And, and I think as a quarterback, it's more personal because, you know, when you deplete a quarterback of all of his talent around him, it makes it – I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow for a quarterback. Marvin, you had you had six head coaches in your career, and wow, three in the first three years is just insane. Did did you see a difference? Like when they changed head coaches, did that make a difference to the team? Was it a longer adjustment period? Um, six over, you know, eleven years is a lot, but yeah, three in three years is almost unheard of, even with the Jets now. What was that, you know, transition period like? I mean, it's definitely a difficult transition because you're going from different systems and different personalities, having to redo things differently. One coach is maybe 4-3, one guy's a 3-4, one guy's disciplinary, but I would just say, you know, it was tough because the first year, you know, I had Bruce Cosby. You know, Bruce Cosby was a tough coach. Pete Carroll was the D.C. Then obviously the next year, Pete Carroll takes over as head coach. So a little more, and Pete is tough. So, I mean, you know, I already planned for him. And then we go to Cotite, which was, you know, more of a relaxed environment, not as intense as, um, you know, playing for um, Pete Carroll causes. So, yeah, it can be an adjustment. But what you have to take into account, too, is that during those times, the average age of players was older. You you had more veterans on the team, and you know hell, I, I can imagine the average age back then probably had to be closer to thirty, you know, twenty nine, thirty, twenty eight to thirty years old, you know, than it is now when you got these younger guys. So it's a difference. It's a huge difference. I mean, my first year coming in, you know, free agency just came in. I mean, you guys were stuck with teams for a longer period of time, so you you had more, you know, unity amongst teams. I mean, today it's just, you know, it just seems players are more individual-oriented than team-oriented. Oh, yeah. I mean, with social media, everyone's about their next Instagram post, their next tweet, um, how they could flex for the gram with whatever tackle they make. You see guys, you know, defenses. I'm amazed when defenses run to the other side of the field, just especially this year, to go up to that screen where they could kind of see themselves because the energy it takes to run that far down the field. I know you're getting a little break with the offense coming to the field, but my God, these guys will run 70 yards just to uh, showboat. It's definitely different from when you played. Marvin Jones is joining us here on Gangsville here. Follow him on Twitter at Marvin Jones Jets. Marvin, we, we talk a lot in this show about the Jets needing a CEO-like head coach, like a Bill Parcells. What kind of culture did Bill Parcells instill that made you guys so good and took you to the AFC Championship? Well, you either perform or you get cut. <laughs> yep. it, wasn't, it wasn't much. Of, it, it, that was very difficult when it came to Bill. Bill was a very – but the thing was, Bill knew how to – know how to get the best out of his players. He was he was tough. He was he was pretty consistent amongst how he treated players, no matter whether you were a player on the team or you were the, the, the fill-in player. You all got the same type of treatment, and he laid down the law how it was and how he wanted things done. If you didn't understand how he wanted things done, he had a couple of vets on the team that played for him already, so you could always go and talk to them. Like, he would always tell me, hey, go talk to Pepper over there. Pepper will tell you what I like. Pepper Johnson the references. You know, go over there and talk to Pepper. He'll tell you. And then Pepper will give you the lowdown. This I be a little, this will be a won't. So, you know, it was, he set that culture, and, and you know, he was a no-nonsense guy. And that's, I think, what builds a lot of these teams. I mean, you may not, as I can see looking at the teams who are winning, 
I mean, you, you look at those type of coaches, and those are the coaches that, you know, win. Pete Carroll's still been a consistent winner. Bill Belichick consistent winner for many years. And those are those same coaches with that type of old-school mentality. But the thing is, they've learned how to adapt and adjust to the, the new age of players. That's the difference. A lot of guys don't make that transition. Even Andy Reid's had to make that transition to, to a new age of players. And the coaches that have it, they, 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 they struggle. The biggest part of your team besides X and O's, the X and O's ain't even the biggest part of your team. It's your relationship with your players. When you go into the last few years of what's been going on the Jets, and that's all you've been hearing about is players complaining about the relationship with their, with their coach. That is what's going to determine guys that's going to knock down a wall for you, guys that's going to lay down for you. Now, you can get a bunch of young guys out there. Of course, a bunch of young guys out there trying to make a transition to the NFL. They're going to play hard. They're going to give you everything they got. But they ain't going to win. <laughs> so, and that's kind of what you see now. You see a bunch of guys out there that's going to bust their butt that's never really had a, 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 a great chance to play in the NFL, but they're getting the opportunity now. And, and you know, take a few of those guys to fill in on your team, you know, which, what you need to do, obviously. But it, it's more than winning, it's just talent. And, and that's what's going to separate a lot of this team. You have to have somebody that's able to lead the team, people that uh, believe in it. That's why certain coaches can coach in college and certain guys can't coach in the NFL because guys in college, you know, it takes them a long enough time to figure out the BS. In the NFL, guys, if, guys, if coaches don't believe in your guys, you, you, you just, it's a, it's, done, it's a done deal. The players figure it out real quick. Yeah, did, did you notice a big difference between, I mean, you were a star at Florida State, an All-American twice, um, and you were great in the NFL, but college, you were, I mean, you were the player of the year. Did you notice the difference between your, your coach at Florida State versus the NFL and how they, you know, how differently they coached? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first couple of years, I mean, like I said, I mean, I had Pete Carroll, you know, the DC and a head coach. So Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll is, he's not as vocal as, I mean, he's vocal. He's more, he, he still has more of that player friendly edge on him. You know, but when it comes to working hard, Pete is man. He he, he is he is a, he's a tough cookie when it comes to that. When it comes to how he wants things done on the field, being a thousand percent running to the ball. I mean, obviously that's showing every team he's coached. I mean, look at Seattle. Seattle for the longest time he's been very consistent, and that's how he is. So absolutely it makes a difference coming from Florida State. I mean, Florida State. I don't think there was any other school in the world that was tougher than Florida State under the Coach Bowden era and, 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 and the coaching staff that we had, you know. So transition to the NFL, yeah, it was a little different because, you know, I was used to going a thousand miles an hour and a thousand miles an hour, you know, all week preparing myself for a game. And then you get in the NFL and then all of a sudden you got, you know, you can't throw guys on the ground. You can't hit guys. They don't like being hit. Oh, you got to prepare a whole different way mentally. So, that had a lot, did have a lot of effect on, on to me on perform because I believe you practice the way you play. Um, in the NFL, you know, certain guys, they don't like being hit in practice. You know, you have the best adjustment period. You have to go through that. Yeah, and you were a physical player. And, you know, Marvin, I, I don't know if you – today's day and age, you breathe too hard on a quarterback and you're getting a flag. I mean, you, you lower your helmet, you're getting a flag. It is a – it's a wild world in the NFL from when you played in the physical style to uh, today, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I thought targeting was part of the game, actually. You know, it, it's changed so much. I, it's good in some ways. I mean, obviously, it allowed guys, you know, to kind of get an extended career. I mean, it's very hard to compare our days and, and 
in, in football the way it is now. It's great the game is still being able to go on. It's great that they're taking every precaution to try to protect players as they can. But, you know, football is, is a physical sport. And I just don't ever see how you're ever going to take that physicality out of the game to, to, to make guys like robots. You know, and I often say all the time, hell, if I played, I'd probably you know, make it through a game. Because I thought that's the way the game was supposed to be played. Studies and evidence is, you know, that the guys getting lawsuits and head, you know, and concussions and things like that. I, I get it. You, you got to start. I mean, you know, the, a lot of these records that, that are going on now are not. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm like, man, some of these guys, these inflated records, man. These guys will never be able to survive the way, you know, guys, quarterbacks back then that had to get hit and no quarterback protection. <laughs> it was no, you know, no rules against hitting quarterbacks low. And, you know, it's it's a different game. So, but like I said, I, I get the point. The overall goal is to try to put player safety. So I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, your former special teams coach with the Jets, Mike Westoff, joined us the other day. You know, what he said kind of made some headlines. He basically said, he said, I'll be a little bit harsh. I'd bring the exterminator into that building. I'm going to clean that place up. I'm talking about people who don't think they're gone. They're gone. I think it's a mess. I was proud of my time in New York. It was a tremendous time. Now I see it's a joke, and it's been a joke since I left. I would make an absolutely dramatic move and make changes all over that place and start from scratch. What do you think about what Westy said about the uh, state of the franchise? When I first got to the Jet, there was a certain culture, a certain atmosphere that existed, and that was within the building. It wasn't, I mean, with with the team, but I, I think after playing for guys like Parcells and what they is, they believe in changing that whole atmosphere. They believe in every guy, that every person in that organization has to be positive and be a part of winning and have a winning attitude. That's from everybody from the ticket takers to in the front of the damn office to the secretaries to everybody in that building better be on board with the team having success. So I get what Mike is saying, and he's absolutely right, and that's how a lot of that stuff gets you know, changed around is you have to clean the house. And, and that's a lot of what Bill Potter says did. Because remember, all everybody that you around every day has some type of effect on you, even as a player. If every day you walk through the front building and, and the lady that's there to greet you has a, a, a bad attitude, it doesn't have an effect, she's or exciting or, or attitude, I mean, how does that, that affect you? So you got to have everybody in that building on that same page from that organization, everybody. I'm not going to get into it, but I mean, I, I see certain things that I've seen before. So I'll just leave it like that. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by that exactly? If you've been through a situation and there's certain things and factors that exist from that previous situation a lot of times, and you kind of see certain things the same way, you know, it's a, then it's kind of you know. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a business deal. If you've ever been through a bad business deal, the next one that comes along, you know right away that certain things have to exist. And if, if certain things aren't in order, then there's a chance, a high probability that this deal is not going to go through. So it's the same thing in football. My experience there during the 90s and how things got and how it got so bad is kind of some of the same things that I see today. Is, is my point. Yeah. No, I mean, when you change head coaches, uh, Marvin, that many times and you, GMs change and, you know, you had that Idzik era, you had McCagnan really just fumbled every move he made. He was bad. And now you're hoping Joe Douglas, you know, with, with almost no talent could kind of turn this thing around. 
you know, this stuff is going to happen. Your team's going to be 0-8. There's going to be headlines every day. You're going to be, you know, called a, a joke by Westhoff. And, you know, I think Westhoff always wanted to be head coach. He never really got that chance, but he was, you know, he's one of the best that ever did it. Your special teams units were awesome. And after you left those special teams units with Leon Washington and Brad Smith, uh, were great. So, uh, yeah, I respect both your opinions. I mean, he, w- he was really smart, and you were a guy that played there during a winning time. I mean, man, I, I-, I told him that I miss those teams that were in the playoffs. I mean, playoffs now, you laugh and think, playoffs? You, you know, you think Jets and playoffs, and it's it may not happen for a while here. So, Well, I have the utmost respect for Mike Weiss, Westhoff, and, you know, as a, as a coach and as a, as a man, and, and obviously as his knowledge as a football coach, because everything he does is about wanting to be perfect and wanting to be the best at what he does. And he's been in enough buildings to know, and that's kind of what I was alluding to, when you've been around certain things enough and you see certain things start to pop up, then you know kind of you have an idea what's going on. It's like me, for instance. I, I'm, I don't have to be in the locker room to kind of understand certain things that happen in the locker room or when attitudes and how things are changed or how teams look or, you know, if I've just played on a Thursday night, how I'm going to feel, you know, having to play those two games, you know, that teams have to play after playing on Thursday night. I've been through that experience. That's something nobody can tell me. So it's no different than me being in that building. I know when everybody in that building is not on the same page. You know, look at how a lot of things have been done. Jets have just done things different over the years. You had a head coach that reported to the GM separately. I mean, that reported to the owner separately than the GM. We're not on the same page on a lot of things. I mean, if, hell, if I'm a head coach on a, on a two-year deal and I got a GM on a four-year deal, well, guess who's trying to win right away? There's always going to be certain conflicts. I mean, we, we, we at some point, you got to do things the right way in order for them to, to build those things. I think a lot of times we probably playing in the high pressure environment like New York, you may make decisions sometimes because you want to appease the fans or you want to try to get some butts, keep the butts in the seats, you know. But sometimes you just have to tear that you have to just tear that thing down to the bare metal and just start rebuilding it. And that goes with okay, we're gonna hire a GM and then we're gonna let the GM hire a coach instead of keep doing it the backwards way. Hiring having a coach and then hiring a GM. You know, I mean, that that it just don't work that way. That's just basic business one-on-one. You know, I, I, I got to put the guy, I got to hire the guy in charge and let him bring the guy that works best for him. Or it's going him and I are going to be on the same page. Or relationships are going to fracture. You keep doing it. I mean, how many times we got experience? Went through it with Mike McCagney. Went through it, going through it again. We don't even have any draft choices. Hell, we don't even have a Rick Ryan player in the team. I mean, how the hell? I mean, I mean, you don't even have any of the players on your team that probably were drafted four years ago. I mean, how do you build? You're not building anything. And that's the same thing both my teams are going through. Florida State's the same way. We don't have – we got to have leverage. We got to have guys to build. You have to have some type of foundation to build around. The Jets have not – they don't have anybody to build around. I mean, now I like what they've done with this, this big offensive line guy, you know, Beckham. I mean, I like his attitude. I mean, I mean that obviously you're going to build it right off his line, but how many of those guys we got to build it? I mean, how many guys do we have that truly that you can say we can build around on offense besides him or, or, or Donald or your franchise quarterback? Who the, who the hell? Tell me, who the hell you build around on defense? You got rid of your player, got rid of Adams, who should never have left the Jets. He should have been a leper. He should have lived and died with the Jets. He should have been like a player that we were, that was spent his whole career there. I mean, he could build around. That guy's infectious, man. He, he, he can change the whole defense attitude and, and, and motivate guys. 
I mean, that's the type of players you got to have, you know. But for whatever reason, relationship, why are these relationships going that way? I mean, all, it seems like all these things end on bad relationships, you know, bad marriages. You know, not every marriage should have to end badly, but just seeing that's the direction we're going with a lot of stuff like that. Now, things may change. Like I said, I mean, it's good. If we can get Mrs. Mr. Johnson back, then yeah. Because, I mean, I know Mr. Johnson saw me every day when I was there. And he likes to win. He hates losing. That makes him sick. So hopefully some things get back to normalcy. And, I mean, he's been through it too. So he kind of knows what needs to be done to get the team back on track. Yeah, and it's interesting. You, you don't have – I mean, what's interesting about your career is you spent your entire career with the Jets. I mean, how often in sports, period, today, do you see guys – I mean, even Tom Brady left the Patriots, and we didn't think that would happen. You don't see guys playing their entire careers with one team. So I imagine you took some pride at the time being a Jet, but now, I mean, what kind of guy is going to say, yeah, I want to spend my entire career with the Jets? I mean, they haven't won in a decade. So, you, you know, these new guys have no interest in playing their entire career here. And even Jamal Adams essentially, you know, cried his way in some ways out of town. He said, I don't want to be here this offseason. So there's obviously something ass backwards going on up top in this organization, like you mentioned. And uh, it's it's alarming. And, you know, you know, Mike Westoff might be right. It might take a... A, you know, a clean house across the board because it's it's scary that this, like you said, there's no guy who has been here more than a couple of years. There's no lifelong, long-time Jet that could be a leader in the locker room and that could set an example for these young players. Yep, absolutely. It, you know, it's a tough situation, but, you know, it's always going to be tough being in New York, playing, for the, you know, playing the Jets in New York in a city like that, that that's big. And, 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 you know, a lot of these fans just been through it for a long time. You know, it costs a lot of money for fans to be a part of season tickets and seat licenses and things like that. So any coach, any organization, any coach or head or anybody you bring into the organization, they're going to pay for the history of the Jets organization. They ain't just, <laughs> they ain't get the fresh start. They get the whole history of the team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's not pretty. Marvin, uh, love talking with you. You know, I, I love that you played your entire career. You signed a one day contract to retire a Jet. Uh, you had a great career. Maybe we'll see you here coaching one day with the Jets. We'd love to see you coaching up that defense, Marvin. Um, so we appreciate the time today. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Flex for the gram. That says see ya for episode 48, the Bobby Humphrey edition of Gangs All Here, our Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out and producing the show. Go on Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating, and write in a nice review, please. We appreciate your support. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Tuesday following Jets Patriots on Monday night. Will the Jets stay defeated? Stay safe, folks.